Hello, everybody, and welcome to It Was a Different Time, the podcast where we discuss the social and cultural changes that have occurred in the last 60 plus years. I'm your host, Natalie Wekeser. On today's show, we're going to be talking to Peter Goins, a professor of art, photography, and time-based media here at the University of Nevada, Reno. My name is Peter Goins. I'm 107 years old, and it's hard to say where I'm from. And the reason is because I lived overseas, born in this country, but moved to Indonesia, spoke Indonesian before English. So it, it's hard to say where I'm from. It's always complicated. So the short answer is I'm from Reno, Nevada, which isn't really accurate. I was not born here. I moved here to teach. So where am I from is a harder question. Okay, and I lived in Indonesia, Turkey, and Brazil, if you want to know my main countries. I'm a foundation professor of art and photography and time-based media. Before finding photography, Peter received an undergraduate degree in political science and Spanish. After working as a legislative aide for a short while, he decided that it wasn't for him, and he went to grad school where he received a master's in fine arts. My undergraduate degree is in political science and Spanish, and then a co-minor in art funny that I ended up in the arts, don't you think? So I went and was pursuing political theory and policy and thought I would work in government. And in fact did. I worked as a legislative aide for a congressman, an, an assistant legislative aide, not literally the legislative aide, right? An assistant legislative aide and was responsible for legislation still on the books in our, in our national law-based system now. While I was working in Congress, I learned that politics was more about power than about ideas. Very disillusioned. I wanted to go into a field where ideas were dominant, and that's in the arts. And I'd always liked photography, so I started applying to graduate schools. A little hard to get in since I had the wrong degrees. But I produced portfolios and was finally accepted into, at that time, one of the leading fine arts schools in the country, no longer, but it was then, and got my Master of Arts uh, and then my Master of Fine Arts, which is the terminal degree. So I have the equivalent of four degrees, but the Master of Fine Arts is the terminal degree in the studio arts. And then, for a variety of reasons, was disillusioned with academia, in part because when I was at that university, I directly experienced inappropriate behavior by my major professor, and it disillusioned me about the academic environment because I thought it favored faculty who took advantage of students. And so to me, it was a corrupt institutional structure. So I went out and refused to participate in the academic world or environment, went on I ran bookstores, but then decided after a few years, wait a minute, that's not how you fix it. You fix it by being a moral, ethical, hopefully energetic faculty member to provide leadership and perhaps even some degree of moral righteousness so that students could say, yes, that's a good model. And that's what I've tried to do. One of the largest changes that photography has seen is a shift from film to digital. Many people were concerned that this shift would take the truth out of photography. Now that photos could be edited, could they be trusted? But photographers have always been editing their pictures just through various darkroom techniques. The shift to digital just brought these processes out in the open. It's hilarious, people. Oh, it's ruined now. 
we could edit and manipulate the, the photograph. Obviously, that's an ignorant statement because you know, as a student in the history of photography, that we've made many, many changes and we've manipulated the image ever since we first invented it. And so it's not, it's not a change, right? It's just a recognition that we can. More, it's more open now. Before it was much more private or secret. People didn't really understand the process. So it was more illusionary. Whereas now it's, well, we obviously know that we can do that. So it's in the public consciousness, but the reality has never changed, which we could always manipulate it. And the minute you depress a shutter, a fiction is created. Now, it can be a simulacra of a truth, and that's a series of simulations. It can be a representation of fact or a metaphor for a fact, but it's, it really invokes the relationship between truth and fact. We can represent truths, but they may not be facts. We can represent facts, but they may not be truths. And that's what makes it, in part, so fascinating. Analog, the chemical process in photography, which is, of course, its origin, uh, is a, a wonderful process. It's really quite engaging from a, from a student perspective. You work in a lab. You're working with so many people. We have 14 marriages that have come out of that department. I don't know how many children, but we've had 14 marriages and that's because you're working in a lab you're bumping up against somebody you share stories you're there till two in the morning you know it's how you get to know someone is by sharing experiences although it's all changed now with tinder right it's just like okay we'll just uh, slide left slide right and there our life is forever changed i'm joking but that experience is always fun. It's always a revelation to discover that the film came out, that we can print it, and then we can make some sense of technically well-executed print that encapsulates elements of beauty. But when digital came along, at first it wasn't very good. So it was it kind of lived side by side, and it was just a question of when would the technology improve sufficiently to compete with the larger capabilities of 4x5 or 8x10 cameras, perspective control, detail, uh, dealing with his, the, the range of zones. Originally, you know, if you think of Ansel Adams' 10, z 10 zone system, well, now technically we have 16 to 18, if not more. So we've expanded our visual capability, but at first, digital didn't have that capability. So it was, it was really film still dominated. But now, with the digital capability, it far dominates film. So much so that most people I know who have access to digital, they wouldn't know why anyone would go back, except for the romance of working in chemistry. Digital is so profoundly changing the world and the way in which we see because our capabilities for, for resolving our perceptual environment is so radically changed. It also invokes time-based media, which is the moving image and animation. Also allows us to deal more fictionally with reality, which of course, historically, pe people pursue, perceived the photograph as an elemental truth. That if you made the image, it was factual, which you know it's not. But now we really can manipulate that reality. We can really suspend our, that essential connection to the real and develop an image that engages us intellectually without being necessarily tied to an absolute reality. And that's transformative in our creative expression as human beings. As human beings, we communicate through metaphor, through simile, 
through illusion, through innuendo, through all forms of communication, nonverbal. And so now we can participate more fully in the full range of human emotions by the way we create our images. And it's not just that, it's also how we communicate electronically with our smartphones, with Snapchat concepts. So the, the opportunities are expanding and they're expanding even further when you begin to move into time-based media and elements such as virtual reality where it's immersive as opposed to the distance that we have even looking at a still image. So it's truly transformative. You're living in an era of revolution. It's as significant as the printing press, if not more. The evolution of photography is not just limited to technology. Some of the most vital shifts are not in hardware, but the content that's being made. As times change, so do the stories that are being told and the voices that are being heard. The search for identity is one of the largest themes running throughout art, because in our current society, everyone has a voice and everybody wants their voices to be heard. We're in an interesting era where with the advent of space travel, we've begun to look back at the Earth with a different and more isolated frame. We realize we're isolated. We realize that the planet is increasingly smaller. How many times have you run into somebody and say, oh, it's a small world? And, and the same concept holds in our understanding of the space in which we live. We, we see how small and isolated the world is. And we're so more codependent internationally because of communication, because of transportation, so we can communicate with people in China if we want right now, which, you know, 200 years ago you couldn't do. It would take weeks or months. Now we can do it instantly. It changes and transforms our ability to communicate. So with this consciousness evolved two principal theories. One is environmentalism and the second was feminism. And what's in, and they rose around the same time. And, and, and the whole idea of feminism is that the search for identity, which is a part of the practice of art and literature throughout time, really becomes magnified through the lens of the changes in photographic history. So you look at this search for identity. Who are we? What have we become? It's more than just taking a photograph of an illustrious American, which Matthew Brady and his studio photographers did. It's now more... We can all do this. We can all present our own image of ourself. We now are in charge of our own view. And so when that happens, it creates an opportunity for those who have not had that opportunity, particularly women, to begin to say, no, you cannot tell me who I am. I will tell you who I am, and I will do it through my own art, through my own imaging. That's transformative. And I think it's one of the root causes why photography is so eminently attractive. We have historically been very paternal in our representation of, of the other through the male lens. And in that lens and representation, the male gaze becomes dominant. And women have adapted to that male gaze in many ways that are not entirely healthy to you as a woman or to other women in their own identity. And it's so reinforced, literally thousands of images every day. It's very, very subversive and subliminal. And it, it's not that women are weak at all. It's we are all susceptible to that kind of influence. It's the suggestive power of the image, which is, which is not just a colonialist concept. It's eminently authoritative, totalitarian.
And so there's risks involved in this process. So shortening this story, it's a great opportunity for women to seize a camera and say, this is who I am. And that's been a big change in photography in this history. And this is what you're going to see in class tomorrow night. It's fantastic. And it is an unbelievable revolution. And it perpetuates in all kinds of cultural movements, the Me Too movement. A lot of these come out of this evolving consciousness of a greater sense of desiring to represent yourself as a human being, not first and foremost because you happen to be female, but because you are a human being and deserve to be perceived that way rather than the object of someone else's desire. And so a lot of women are working with these concepts and it's almost a rite of passage for women to work in this method to claim their own identity through the imaging process. It's quite exciting actually. And, and let's not leave men behind because it works for them too because they may not be famous but they may be going through experiences in their life and they can use the camera as a self-reflective tool, come to terms with their own desires, with their own expression and to begin to deal in more complex ways with the other. In this case, we're talking principally about women, but there are other genders that deserve to be discussed. And that happens through photography quite easily. And it's very welcoming. And so that transformation of style, in my view, really comes down to this emphasis on identity and the search for identity. And we're in the middle of it now. I don't know how long it will end. Maybe it never will. That's one very fundamental element. There are shifts that happen right now. We're going through a shift. Our origin and our identity in this country had a lot to do with the formulation of landscape. We didn't have a way of establishing our national identity. We did it through our celebration of the beautiful sublime, the combination of awe and terror in the Western landscape, Yosemite, the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, keep going through all these parks. These are spectacular, dramatic, orchestral landscapes. And so we would celebrate our national identity. This is who we are through these landscapes. But it didn't really play the same way in the eastern cities where they didn't have those. And while they were exotic, they really needed a different sensibility about urban intensity and loneliness and anxiety. And so the evolution of, of a system of imaging that really dealt with anxiousness and anxiety and loneliness and separation uh, was also a recognition of a human spirit. Uh, when I ask in class how many of you feel the need to take a road trip, that's a function of a sense of loneliness in a way, you know, needing to get out, needing to change your location, needing to do something different. And that's a significant trend that coexists with that search for identity. You can see how there are parallel themes. In terms of, there are obviously a lot of sub-themes dealing with surveillance, dealing with with street photography, of observing the other. Uh, we still exoticize the other. We really haven't come to a complete resolution of that human tendency to look at people who are different than ourselves. We haven't really confronted sufficiently, although certainly we've done a lot of it, our own desires in terms of physicality or sexuality. But that's beginning to grow. We, we started to, and then we got a, a huge, huge... What's the word? Resistance, I'll say. Uh, reactionary resistance to openness about human sexuality. And that's an undercurrent going through our culture today. 
uh, and it it affects how we dress, how women dress, how women are discouraged from wearing clothing that reveals their bodies. It's a fundamental conservative concept. And I'll ask in exchange, when do you as a woman get to say, this is how I want to look? And what right does anyone else have to tell you differently? There are social norms. I get that. I mean, I understand that. But why are we so anxiety-ridden about breastfeeding in public? Why is that such a problem with people? What are the undercurrents of this resistance? Why do we need to control how women look? What is our fear? So those, these topics are being addressed. Uh, issues of gender representation and acceptance. Why was it so demanding of those amongst us who are gay to disguise that sexual preference? Well, it's emerged. Your generation has helped that. Artists want to be who they want to be, and why shouldn't they? And so the trends tend to be, again, notice how closely they related they are to those concepts of environmentalism and uh, feminism, or in this case, identity, learning to accomplish and represent your own identity, that you get to be in charge of your own identity. That's still a debate today. And, in, and our leaders now would prefer that you as a woman don't have charge over your own corporal identity, your own body. We want to legislate what you can do or can't do with your body. They don't do that to men. Why, do, why is medical research so dominantly favoring males rather than females when females have complicated and different plumbing, shall we say? Why are the medical studies sufficiently lower? It's an institutional bias. Why is that? There's some great, great stories about these differences in the evolution of the medical profession and the science of medicine. So this is fertile ground. And so the fashion changes tend to reflect our cultural in much more intimate ways. It's less about, are we going to do cubism? Are we going to do postmodernism? Are we going to do post-structuralism? Those theories function as ancillary ways to understand those basic suits for identity, to understand how to represent beauty, to understand how to integrate into our collective society. Photography is an ever-evolving medium. As the times change and technology advances, photography will follow. It kind of depends where you want it to go because you're a young woman and the future is yours. You may abdicate that responsibility. I wish you wouldn't, but it depends on your generation because your generation will soon be in my place. And then what? What do you all want? What I see happening, though, is a continuation of these themes. And I don't see it changing. And I see that students are much more interested in producing work if it matters to them. They don't want to do something that doesn't matter to them. Who does? Well, it's a homework. It's assignment. I'll do it. But if it matters, then we're going to do it. So where, what are the emerging issues? Well, one of them is food. Right? We're talking more about food. You know, a few years ago, the Oxford English Dictionary included locavore as its most significant new word. 
we're beginning to consider the context of food and production. We're beginning to understand its relationship to us in much more intimate ways, not just because of its health, but also in terms of its sensuality, in terms of its community. That's always been part of the human experience, but we're beginning to be more conscious of the sources of our food and how we relate to food as a social process, consuming food, growing food. So those elements, I think will always continue now that we've we've begun to discuss them. Identity, I don't know that we ever lose that because all children need to discover their own identity. It's a human process. But we're going to continue to have the conversation within the history of art because that's what we do. So many artists respond to that conversation. It's an engaging conversation. We want to have that conversation. Somebody tells us historically this is the way freedom should be represented and we might say, oh, contraire, I'd like it to be different. So I see those themes continuing. The new themes that are emerging are really the structure of how we tell our stories. So instead of telling it in a still photograph, we might create an immersive experience where the, where the viewer has an opportunity to negotiate the conclusion to a narrative device or where it could facilitate learning or where we could provide opportunities for others who are challenged in their mobility to have the same experience that you do if you go down a zip line. So the opportunities for inclusion are there, the opportunities for abuse are also there. This has been It Was a Different Time. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at It Was a Different Time for photos of our guests and information on upcoming episodes. Also, check us out on itwasadifferenttime.wordpress.com for episodes and portraits of all of our guests. I'm your host, Natalie Wekeser, and thanks for listening.